As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Today's episode of Android's Dungeon. Harry Hall in the house. It's Halloween. It's not Halloween, but it's gonna get spooky in here. Spookily good. Kayla Campbell in the house. Halloween, folks. Stay tuned. Sorry to interrupt this broadcast, folks, but Harry and I had to leave because of sheer embarrassment. <laughs> uh, PSA, it's not Halloween unless you're listening to this way after the fact. And it could theoretically be Halloween. Uh, trick or treat. <laughs> wear high visibility clothing when you're walking at night. Uh, but you should wear that always when you're at night and if you're biking or doing other stuff. Because that's just a safety tip, folks. Before now, Harry was really excited to do the show, and now he is yeah. inching at the door. And now I'm considering leaving to go buy some high-vis gear. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to get Jack's commission. <laughs> the fact that you said high-vis means that you know what you're talking about. That's what the pros say. Nobody says high-visibility. You get beat up on the, on the uh, I don't know. The, the safety forum. Well, I was gonna say the because I keep wanting to use like prison lingo, like the yard. But no, I'm thinking of like what would you call the the stretch of road where uh, people are building a, a highway or something. Um, I think it's called the site. A road. The road. Yeah. Possibly, potentially roadworks. Construction site. Mm-hmm. I'll take site. Construction site. Anyway, this is Android's Dungeon, by the way. A show on CFRU 93.3 FM, uh, temporarily at least, until the station's lights turn off because you haven't supported the station enough. That's right. I'm admonishing you. If you're listening and you haven't done your best to keep the station going by um, winning the lottery and bequeathing it to the station, you've not done your part. Or at the very least, calling, uh, I don't know, someone. You can try to call Doug Ford. I think his cell phone number is available. Um, you can ask him about a boot, uh, CFRU. Don't harass Doug Ford, though, please. It's not going to make him happy, and he'll probably come down even harder on us. But anyway, support the station, and uh, you can support us, too, by mm-hmm. going to all your favorite podcast websites and listening to Android's Dungeon. I think um, our, our number one service, because we can check the stats, comes from uh, the Apple one, Apple... Apple Pods or something. It's not iTunes. I think it's some. It's weird. Just podcasts. Apple yeah. Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. And then the second one I think is an, uh, the Google one, which makes sense. But whatever. Uh, I am joined today by two spooky characters, Kayla Campbell and Harry Hall. Uh, they're dressed in Halloween outfits. Just That's kidding. They're dressed true. perfectly normal, unless uh, business casual is scary. Is it? Can be. Yeah, I guess. Hello. <clears throat> <laughs> I viz. Um, this is going to be an interesting show because, unfortunately, I'm going to lay my cards on the table right away, and I think Kayla's going to be in the same boat. We haven't played too many board games recently. It's been very busy for us, and 
Um, spoiler alert, it was also Kale's birthday recently, on the, uh, and we went to the zoo instead of playing board games, which if, if the tables were turned, maybe we would have played board games at the zoo for Jack's birthday, but uh, with Kayla, <laughs> we just were walking around and having a great time. So. Some rhino hero. Some rhino hero with, oh my goodness, Ooh. that's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> and then just get trampled by the actual rhinos as you're trying to do it. Hungry, hungry hippos. <laughs> I guess we could do a whole, like, man, that would have taken some effort. That's Animal-themed way... board game <laughs> Animal-themed. at the zoo. Uh, if the pandas were still there, Takenoko. But mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, so anyway, Kale and I are a little... Uh, we're a little weak on the game section, uh, front. And I felt bad because our friend from Sault Ste. Marie, dedicated listener, Justin, was in town and he had his copy of Lords of Hellas. Are you familiar with this game, Harry? No. I wonder if it was out at Gen Con at that time, but it was a Kickstarter game by this company that they, they've been doing, making a lot of moves with their games. They, they just did Nemesis, which I think is uh, making some splash. As And I don't even know the premise. I think it's a one versus all, but it's kind of like a... Uh, kind of like a, What was that video game that came out recently? Evolve? Um, where there's a monster hunting everyone, and you're trying to hunt the monster, but the monster gets stronger as time goes on. Anyway, there's that game, and then there's another one that came out, but they have high, high production values. And it made some splashes a little while ago, and we were going to try to play it, but it was just way too late, and we did not have a chance to sit down and play this. So that would have been what we were talking about. So there was the potential to talk about Lords of Hellas. I mean, we did see the map and the figures, and they looked really good. Yeah, they both looked very, very good. Highly detailed miniatures, but most Kickstarters do that these days, Nothing too. Nothing I so. like more than good component quality. <laughs> Is that actually a big factor for you? <laughs> yeah. in, uh, in terms of games, like I appreciate getting good value for the game. And so... Uh, it's either important to have good components or a reasonable price. Yeah, so usually you find, like, especially with Kickstarters, that I, I don't know if this is the equivalent of like people who go gaga over graphics for a video game. It's like, I'm not buying a game that looks stupid versus a board game where it's like, gotta have sick miniatures, bro. It helps, but I don't like how it inflates the price of a game. Do you think board game nerds actually talk like that? 100% bro. 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 Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, video games is different, I guess, because it's digital distribution. But yeah. for board games, it really drives up the price because they have to produce the components for every game. Right? Yeah. Um, so it's nice, I guess, to have high-quality miniatures in a game that you aren't looking for it. But also, at the same time, it's tough to pay 70 bucks for a game that has nice minis and you don't really care. It, but that's you know? it. It's like oftentimes for me, and I, I can only speak for myself right now, but I, when I see these miniatures, I almost get worried that more time is spent making the game look good than play good. And you have an example. Let's take Root, for example. Are we talking about Kingdom Death here? Kingdom Death. I haven't <laughs> played... Did you play Kingdom Death? Yeah, I played it once. Actually. Okay, well, hold on. Let's we'll talk about that in two seconds. But let's take Root, for example, which was a Kickstarter <clears throat> game. Super huge, super popular. Um, I think it's it, this, it, the shine has come off it a little bit in, in our circles, but it's still a good game. There's no doubt about it. But the components, like the boards are nice quality, the, the, the maps are pretty, the art's good. But as far as component, component quality, it's fairly m- mundane. Like, you have cards, you have little tokens that are just, like, could be in any game whatsoever. And the the little special cut meeples are cute, but they're nothing, like, insane. It's not like you have, like, hyper-detailed raccoons with knives and things going out there. But tell us about Kingdom Death Monster. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, kind of molded plastic components that really drive up the price, right? Yeah. So Kingdom Death is a game that's, uh, like, hundreds of dollars. I think it's, like, 300 bucks for the base game. And it, and it comes with really nice... Um, miniatures with the mm. game for the monsters that you fight and, and the characters that you're playing. Yeah. And you can buy expansions for the game that introduce new monsters, um, but they're all like incredibly expensive. And for me, it's just you have to really find a lot of value, I guess, in having those nice miniatures and, yeah. and being the person who goes out and paints them, which is a lot of people. But for a board game, it'd be nice, you know, to not have to necessarily care about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. guess I'd love it when games have a 
like a base game, and then you can buy fancier, yeah, nicer can, components for the game, and pick it gives the you upgrades. that option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's well, always ca- nice. Scythe kind of did that when, and, I, and, and on the Kickstarter, I think Scythe obviously comes with the the minis for the the factions right from the get go, and the uh, so that stuff. There's no way around it. But the other stuff that you could do, like you could buy the metal coins if you want to, like puff yourself totally. up, buy the better um, resource tokens and that stuff. But what's crazy to me is that Scythe is not a hundred dollar plus game. It's it's very well priced. It's kind of crazy. Like I went out and I bought Splendor recently. Oh, and Splendor is like fifty five, sixty dollars, and it comes with cards and plastic tokens. And the tokens so offensive. I think the newer tokens are not even the good tokens. Like, They're the hollow. ones we have are really heavy and like feel really nice, but I think the newer ones yeah, are I can not. Confirm that. Yeah, they're definitely not as nice. Splendor is one of these games that I like to default to for two reasons. One is it's a decent game, mm-hmm. but it's not nothing special. It's it's easy to pick up, throw down, and teach somebody for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other part is like the actual comp- components of it make zero pre- sense with the price. And for a game that so- has such a presence out there, it makes I can't figure out why it is worth so much more, or what the the I MSRP mean, is. On I'm it. sure it's just like a profit maximization. Oh, like definitely. Problem, right, like they can charge that much because it's a famous game. Yeah, you know, yeah, a lot of people know about it, and there's a lot of demand. Yeah, but it's not even like let's say Ticket to Ride, for example, where at least there's like a giant board. Mm-hmm. And every, all the plastic trains, and uh, and you still have all those cards too. So totally. it, I, I guess you can go crazy, kind of going down this road of like what's worth what. But you'd think at this point that Splendor would be able to offset their costs. Oh yeah, for With, production given the high demand. Yeah, like in the quantity of units that yeah. I exactly. assume that they are uh, ordering. Yeah, but and also they're clearly cutting down the quality because the newer ones are not even that good. Yeah, so they're discs. saving like, money. We or... have the good ones, and I think everyone else is sad. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just it's one of those games that with the price point and that you but look at. But it's a at, good game. Yeah, but it's a, it's an okay game. And that's when we actually played ooh. recently. Yeah, we and I lost horribly. Well, not so horribly, that's but why it was, he says it's okay because yeah. he lost. I usually lose at Splendor. I'll admit, like Splendor's one of those games that I feel like I'm just floundering in a direction and hoping things work out for me. But whatever. Uh, Joel has endorsed the expansions for Splendor. I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago because I say expansions. There's one expansion, but it comes with modules. So if you play the heck out of Splendor and you really want to mix things up or add some variety to it. Uh, I guess it it creates a bit more randomness or not randomness, but just changes maybe the pace of the game. Which so, but even that expansion I think is fairly expensive considering the fact that the base game is what do you say like fifty bucks? Yeah, I think it's fifty five bucks, which is nuts, no, absolutely crazy. Is, yeah. Conversely, yeah. with sorry to interrupt you, Harry, but with like Gloomhaven, what was the price? One hundred twenty bucks. That <laughs> yeah. was with shipping for the Kickstarter, and it comes in like a five pound or seven pound box, or was it twelve pounds? It's just like. Wasn't it's it on like the table. Twenty pounds. It, it was yeah. absurd. It was. And just... I probably played like two hundred hours of Gloomhaven, maybe more. Yeah. So, it, bang for your buck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Come on, exactly. that's what I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, we we got off on a little tangent there, but we're going to be picking Harry's brain here because Harry has played tons of games recently, and I'm unfortunately, Kale, I'm going to bypass the normal round the circle, and I'm going <laughs> to skip myself here, but I'm just going to go straight to Harry. What have you been playing recently? Uh, so, I mean, we've been uh, meeting uh, locally in my area for games a lot recently, and sure. we've been playing a lot of uh, Root, um, Keyflower, we've been playing <sighs> a lot of Zolkin, mm-hmm. uh, we've been playing a lot of um, some Viticulture as well. All right, so let's we're going to go down the list here. Before we go any further, though, how many people is in your group when you meet uh, up? Four. Pretty solid yeah. number here. Yeah, and it's always four. It's nice. Oh, interesting. 
And uh, is this like how how long does it start? Is it usually after dinner or is this? Yeah, uh, we typically meet at like seven thirty, eight p.m. Yeah. You know, after dinner, have some yeah. drinks, have some coffee. And how uh, long does it go and for? Play like a board game at like ten thirty. Like not bad, yeah, not we're bad. Focused on playing like a board game and giving ourselves two hours, and it's pretty good. And do you ever do like a, a, a tiny warm up game to get things going, or is it just straight into? No, it? we're we're serious. Like just getting straight into some of these. Is games. the game set up? Uh, typically, yeah, we set up the game before they arrive, <laughs> and they show up, and we. I actually don't know anything about them because we never talked about anything except games. <laughs> I'm, I'm Wait, do you know these people? I yeah. don't know. <laughs> no, it's just strangers that Harry and Chelsea find on the streets. Well, we basically, like, we meet at, like, 8 and we play games until, like, 10.30. That's pretty good. We're not really doing anything else. Uh, Solid. But it's good. I know, I, I'm, I'm asking these general questions because I'm trying to set the mood for people here, but this is in your house, correct? Yes, that's correct. Uh, do you put on music? Yes. Do you put out snacks? Yes. Do you provide any sort of drinks of any sort? Yes. So this is a solid hosting event right here. This it really is. is. That's why we should move to Kitchener. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and we've been meeting like once a week for that. And then usually on a weekend or another weekday, we'll just like, someone will text another person saying, hey, are you free? And we'll meet for another board game. So, Incredible. So two, two board games a week. We probably played seven games of Zulkin in the past uh, two months. All right, so why don't we start with Zolkin then? Because that's, do you think it's that's the, played the most? The one you've played sure. the most. We talked a little bit about this ourselves outside of this, but um, describe Zolkin just generally. I mean, Zolkin's a pretty old game. I think it came out in 2013. Uh, it's a worker placement, um, but it's an interesting worker placement in that you, you put your workers, you place them on action spaces on the board, and mm -hmm. then every turn the board rotates. And um, so, sorry, Harry. When Harry says the board rotates, you you build the board before you play the game, and it has these plastic the gears, gears on yeah. it, and everything's connected in this lovely way too. So, anyway. and, and you don't actually—I mean, you put them on the gears, yeah. but they don't actually take any actions until you remove them. And when you remove them, you take an action according to like the space on the gear. And if you can kind of imagine uh, um, each worker sitting on the like a tooth of the gear, and then the gear being placed in a bigger like uh, wheel, I guess. Um, and then you, you you know you put it on for three turns you get to take that action uh, listed under space three mm -hmm. or you put it on for four turns you get to take the action listed on space four and it's usually a, a, some kind of more powerful action so you mm -hmm. get rewarded for leaving it on for longer um, and it's otherwise it's kind of just like a resource optimization game you um, gather like wood and corn and uh, gold and stone and you have to feed your people and use those resources to build buildings and uh, accrue points um, and yeah we've been playing a lot of it. Um, now, it's good. Now, what was the rule though? Was it that whoever is it? Did this rule come into effect after you played so much Zolkin, or was it always in place of the who gets to choose the next game? Yeah, I think after six games of Zolkin, we imposed a rule <laughs> that the winner gets to choose the next game, so yeah. that we could play something a little different. Yeah. Um, but uh, we were—I mean, we were, we were playing it a lot because it's one of those games where it's pretty clear what you've done wrong. Like <laughs> the strategies, the strategies in the game, I would say are, are fairly obvious. So it, it's a good game to learn because you play it and you say like, Oh, you know, this is where I screwed up. Um, this is what I can do better. Here are the, you know, I want to try maybe doing this strategy next time. Mm -hmm. um, and after every game, we definitely always had the feeling that we wanted to just play another one right away. Oh, interesting. That's uh, always fun. Which is always fun, and it's definitely, like, good for a game. And actually, that's one of my complaints about Root, is that we haven't always felt the same way. But uh, We'll get the Root in a second. And, and I think that's, I guess, partially because Zulkin is more of, like, a... It's a puzzle game for yourself. There's mm -hmm. very little conflict with other players, and you're really just sitting there trying to optimize your own actions, mm -hmm. which which makes it really obvious, I guess, where you've gone right or wrong. Well, that gets into the whole Euro experience that I think is we're going to touch on at, at maybe in a later a little bit. But Zolkin is something that we've played probably ourselves maybe three or four times, Kayla, and uh, 
it's a cute game, but to be honest, I just I never really feel like I'm, I'm looking at the shelf and I'm never like, oh, I'm craving some Zulkin right about now. But I, maybe it's just because the two-player experience is not as deep. And maybe I, we, we have... need Chelsea and Harry to show up and show us how it's done. The two-player experience is, is definitely very different because yeah. you have to you have to put static workers on the board. Mm-hmm. Exactly, there's less variation, I guess. I mean, one of the complaints about the game that I think is still true with four players, but it's it's it happens faster with two players, is that eventually you learn of the different dominant strategies in the game. There's like four different dominant strategies. Oh, there are four even. I thought it was just crystal skulls and going, that's it. I mean, there's like, there's basically one for each wheel. You can kind of go heavy corn or you can do heavy buildings or you can do heavy resources or you can do a crystal souls. And once you've kind of like learned and kind of become adept at playing each of those strategies, Mm -hmm. then it's kind of a, the issue with the game and and definitely one of the people in our play groups, uh, uh, their biggest complaint with the game is that, you know, it's kind of, at that point, it's just random. Like, mm. if everyone's of the same skill level, and they know the game well, and there's no interaction in the game, then it's kind of like a, a fixed result. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you're talking about. That's that's an interesting description of... What is the randomization? Are the techs randomized? So I can't you, remember. You have, you have random starting tiles, and, and there's a randomization in the buildings that get flipped. So, yeah. like, you get, you get starting bonuses. And then there's a, a kind of trade row of buildings that's available on the board, and that's random. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the only randomization in the game. So it kind of comes down to, I mean, that that's it, I guess. And that has definitely happened. That's, I think, why we're playing less Zulkin now after, you know, seven or eight games or whatever, is that we've reached a point now where everyone knows how to play Zulkin well. Uh-huh. And it's kind of, you know, no longer, I guess, a... The reason we're playing so much Zulkin is that we would play and look at our own game and say, oh, I could have done these things better. And we're no longer at that point. Now we look at back at the game and say, ah, oh, if only, you know, such and such player hadn't screwed me over at this point right. in the game. Or if only I'd flipped a better building. And once everyone, every player is at that point, it's kind of time to put the game away. And That's with a two-player game, I think that happens faster. Interesting. Now, it's this is going to, I think, tie into, I want to talk about Root after this. Because we played Feast for Odin um, together a while ago, and I think you bounced off of it, or you weren't as thrilled with it. But it, what's interesting is because the entire game, I'd say, is entirely a mix of what you've described as its self-improvement. I don't want to say multiplayer solitaire, but you're doing your own thing, and everyone else is doing their own mm-hmm. thing. And depending on how adept you are at the game and how aggressive you're being, where you're kind of anticipating what somebody else is going to be doing and either being malicious in selecting the space before they do it uh, or, like, taking a piece that they're going for. But at least Feast for Odin is more aggressive like that. And Zolkin, there's nothing... You can't stop somebody from getting to a certain point on a gear. It's They're yeah, going to exactly. get there. I mean, I mean it's, that's one thing that's just kind of true about these worker placement games and especially true of Zolkin because, like you said, it's hard to prevent people from taking an action. Is that... It's, I guess, it's about doing the best action that you can on your turn. Mm-hmm. In every turn, you kind of appraise the actions that are available that haven't been taken by other players, and you yeah. take the best one. And once you're good enough at that, is that it for the game? Like, huh. you kind of just don't play anymore? And like you're know. saying... You then need an be... expansion. Well, I mean, there is the expansion. I'd be curious what it changes, because we've got... Again, it's like, we just don't care enough about Zulkin, but I picked it up cheap, and it's just been sitting right next to it. I was curious what it would change or add. I think there's an extra gear put on. Yeah, I think I think it adds more action spaces actually, which definitely could <laughs> mix more. it up. But I mean, yeah, like with with four players, it stays interesting for longer because you have three other players who are kind of interfering with your plan. Exactly. Like if you were playing solitaire, it'd be the most straightforward, and you probably would stop playing mm-hmm. pretty quick, right? Because nothing is variable. Like, <clears throat> whereas with four players, there's there's a lot more, uh, I guess, difference or like not quite randomness, but there's there's at least more interaction. Mm-hmm. But we're kind of getting to that point. Kayla, what were your thoughts on Zulk? And it's, I know it's been a little bit for you too, but 
It has been a while. I think that um, I am like not a huge fan of games that make the two-player experience have to have like those stand-in yeah. players, and I understand why they have to do it, but that just like instantly puts me off a game. So that's really all I remember about it because it has been a while since we played it. I mean, I'm sure it's a good game, and I would love to explore it with more players. But I think anytime that a game has that stand-in for other players that can't be there, just is kind of. I a... think what I want to see because we've been burned enough times on that, where it's like, okay, it says two players on the box, but it's not but a two-player game. It's fake two players. It's fake two players. But I want to see two in brackets, and it's like this is a two. Like, if you want to do it two players, like we don't advise it, but this is how you can do it. <laughs> yeah. They but need to really, give a rating for each player account. Yeah, like, exactly. And like Board Game Geek does that. If you go to the website, they'll yeah, say for each game do. best at X, and which is extremely useful for looking at some games where it's like, because I love a bunch of games, but they're only good at higher player accounts because I'll, you never imagine playing them too, even though technically you could play with two players. But why? Why would you bother doing yeah, it? Yeah, totally. I wish they put that on the boxes. <clears throat> yeah. I don't want to give people, I guess, the wrong impression about Zulkin. I think, I think in terms of a four-player worker placement, Zulkin's like probably one of my top. Oh, top interesting. Yeah. I mean, we've gotten a lot of plays about it and or plays of it, mm-hmm. and I would probably happily continue playing it for a bit longer. Um, it's uh, just a solid worker placement game, and if you kind of like those worker placement, resource generation, um, engine building, or like uh, action optimization games, and Zulkin's mm-hmm. like very good. It's a great game, and it's very pretty, too. Like, it's one of those games, once it's out on the table, and it, there's the, the tactile sensation of those gears spinning is it's pretty lovely. That <laughs> so, is pretty awesome. Anyway. But this game <clears> is definitely best at four. And look at that. That's what the geek says. That's what the geek The geek says. is never wrong. No, never. Except when it's wrong, but anyway. All right, so moving on to the next one. So, Zolkin, uh, what would you give it as far as your, like, group rating? <laughs> I mean... With with a, a group of four people, yeah. I would probably give Zolkin like a solid four point two out of five. Excellent. That's rating. a that's a great that's very nice. Good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So moving. What's the next game that so, you? So root. Let's I should say uh, uh, twenty eighteen Golden Geek Best Game of the <laughs> Year <laughs> Award <laughs> winning true, root. True. True. Yes. Yes. Uh, we're playing a, a decent amount of that, and it's it's totally a polar opposite of Zolkin, mm. right? Where it's not it's not quite a. Um, or it's not it's not really at all a, uh, a zero sum game where you're not you're not you know every action you take isn't uh removing points from each other but there's so much interaction yeah, in the game. Uh and if anything I guess that's my complaint with it is that it ends up being a game where everyone's accruing points but if you you know a lot of the conflict is driven by the desire to prevent someone else from winning which which really kind of drives this uh kind of king making aspect of mm-hmm. multiplayer games which is always, uh, I think, a bit of an issue, depending on how much you enjoy the politics of those games. Well, this is going to be interesting, because in my experiences of Root, and I think I've got about six games under my belt, the politicking, I felt like, was secondary to what you were describing of the, I don't want to say king-making, but the just like, you're trying to get points on your turn, but you're more concerned about someone else getting more points, and especially depending on which faction is doing what. But there, there always comes a time when somebody's ahead and it, it feels like the, the, the mood changes when it becomes bash the leader time. And it's like the game turns into this plate spinning uh, simulation where whoever's left at the end holding their plate ends up winning after everyone else's plates have fallen to the ground, sometimes disastrously, sometimes they just caught it and they're putting it back up. But did you, with your group, how adept would you say everyone is? Yeah, I mean, I would say the same thing. And I think that's that's the way that root games get kind of unfun is when people only really start driving conflict when there's a clear winner. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the, the game ends when a player gets a 30 points. And I find it's really easy to fall into this trap of optimizing the number of points that you're getting per turn and not really and kind of ignoring the other players oh, until yeah. someone hits 20 points. And then everyone And the space out. between 20 points and 30 points is like nothing. It's like yeah. one turn. Um, if someone is like, you know, doing cruising, as much as they yeah. can. Yeah, exactly. And so, but if you start off at zero points and you're immediately trying to, you know, kind of screw with people, you're immediately trying to identify like, oh, this person's going to get a lot of points in the future or they're doing really well. Or, you know, this bird player has a lot of uh, cards in their, in their decree that uh, uh, could be dangerous. And you kind of immediately start messing with people and you really drive that conflict, I guess, from the start of the game. Mm -hmm. And I think it's actually been really enjoying it from that kind of perspective. Now, since you've... How many games do you think you've played? I've wrote uh, probably seven. Oh, so total? Total, I think. Okay, interesting. I thought you had way more under your... Uh... I mean, we, we bought it at Gen Con last year. We played it, I don't know, three times, four times. Okay. And then we got wrapped up in Gloomhaven, because, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Gloomhaven was out. The and Void then, uh, that just sucks you in. We bought uh, Rise of Fenris, the Scythe expansion. Played that through. That was like ten games or eight games. Hmm. Um, and then we recently just started playing Root again. Um, so it might be closer to ten. I, I, I guess I was just trying times, to but... get a feel for how many... Because I feel like after, there's a critical, there's a breaking point in playing a game where... Depending on how complex it is, it's when everyone starts to play optimally. And like kind of like Zulkin that you're describing, it becomes the more fragile the game is, the more interesting it is seeing the interactions between people. And that's one of the things with Root where like reading about Root online, people kinda hit that point when they're like fifty games of Root in. Like people <laughs> people who are really into Root. Actually and I I've looked it up because I want to get an edge on these people because <laughs> we're super competitive at our game night. But nice. if you look up Root strategy guides, they're from like 2019 even though the game has been out for like seven months and it's because people the game's really complex yeah. and you know it, because mm -hmm. it's asymmetric every faction's different in order to really get to know the game to reach that level of i guess comfort with the game and all of its mechanics and how to maximize your own kind of point generation mm -hmm. you really need to have played the game a lot yeah which i think is a point in its favor uh unfortunately it means it's also kind of hard to learn yeah i was gonna and say it's hard you, to teach there's to a people. high high barrier to entry like i've played it once and because there is so much going on and that and all of the factions are different and every faction plays differently it's hard to learn because you have to learn kind of like the basics of the game but you also have to try to figure out how your faction works and i think that can be a challenge for right, people exactly like like in order to maximize your points like level one of the game is just is the core game mechanics right that's level zero, I guess. And then, and then, like, level one of the game is actually learning how to play your faction. And you need to learn how you play your faction really well in order to maximize your point generation. But then if you want to have fun, like, a lot of fun playing Root, and, like, have it, I guess, be one of those games that deserves to, you know, win Board Game Geek uh, Game of the Year award. Uh, first of all, you need nice art, obviously. Um, but you <laughs> also you need to know how to play every other faction. Exactly. Because the, yes. the game is about really depriving your opponents of gaining points, especially if you're playing, like, Marquise the Cat. Yeah. And, uh... And that takes a lot of plays, as every faction. Like, you have to play as them. You can't just have play Have you been playing them. with the expansion factions? We Yeah, we have been playing with the expansion factions. Adds two expansions. Uh, they're good. I actually really like the otters. Um, I kind of prefer the otters to some of the starting uh, Interesting. I mean, starting otters ones, are adorable. They are adorable. <laughs> Very dangerous animal. For sure. But uh, What about the lizards? Has anyone won as the lizards? No, no one's won as the lizards. And I Has think anyone it's pretty close? common <laughs> online. Uh, and we haven't played them that much either. Because Cause no one wins. No one, wants no one wins with them. And it's also, it's it's also weird, tough to yeah. fit another kind of area control faction into a game whose map is already kind of tight. Yeah. Like, as you're already playing, you know, most games, especially when you're teaching new people, you have to have the birds and you have to have the cats. Yeah. And those are both really heavily focused on controlling... Um, uh, forest clearings in this game and uh, it's you really can't afford to add the lizard into that mix because then it's a uh, 
gets kind of too hectic and the board's too cramped and yeah there's, so, there's no space for the vagabond to live free. No, the va- I don't. I, I'd not lose sleep over how the well a vagabond is doing because unless everyone has, that's a good example of like everyone having to sort of make a decision here because the vagabond is at least initially, and you've played enough to have a better taste of this. But the vagabond is so strong, and unless players collectively kind of decide to, I'm not feeding the vagabond. Boop! I'm gonna hit you every time I see you. It's how many times the vagabond ended up winning? Totally. I mean, I I would know because I've actually played the vagabond a lot <laughs> because it's one of the harder uh, things, and I've won a lot. I mean. If you're playing with new people especially, it's kind of like one of those mechanics in a game where a player is going to do something and each of their opponents can, you know, pay a cost to prevent them from doing it. Mm -hmm. And no one ever plays the cost, right? Because it's kind of a distributed cost. Like, oh, I don't want to pay this if my opponents aren't going to pay it. Exactly. And then you always get the benefit. And the Vagabond is exactly that for the duration of the game because they're, you know, quietly just existing and accruing points and, and someone... There's a cost for someone to spend their actions to kind of pick on the vagabond, but everyone has to do it. Yeah. Otherwise, they're all going to lose. Yeah. And and I think that's true generally of root period, where you kind of like it costs you to to spend time in combat with the other players, but I mean you got to do it for straight from the get go. Mm-hmm. Like you got to attack the vagabond like on turn one. Yeah. If you're uh, concerned. I don't know. It's I, I, I'd be happy to play Root again, but the problem is I, I kind of get nervous when I look at it, and it's it's the I think the skill gap is so is more obvious in that game than a lot of other ones I've played. That's, can, that's totally true. Like can if you you're play playing Root with the, too? you can play Root with two players. Marquee it's and Bird. Weird. Yeah, you you put play two kind of big area control factions like the cats right. and the birds, and it's it's really different. Like there's no there's no king making for one, which is kind of good. You know, it helps you avoid that trap, but at the same time, it's a big board for only two players. Like I think the the cuz there is uh, an expansion, it's another version of it mm-hmm. being kickstarted at the moment or if, maybe it's done, I think. And uh, it's it's adding robot factions so you can add extra robot players to your game. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean there is like a right now a, a mechanical marquees. Yeah. Which is kind of like um you can play it solo or you can play against it co-op. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I actually have never, I have no experience with it, so. No. So, all right. Root, what would you give your group rating on it, and how do you think your groups responded to it, too? So, I mean, I think one of the players in our group is kind of averse to that kind of heavy conflict, you know, combat-based kind of game. Like the take-that stuff? Yeah, exactly, and that makes it kind of tough, because when you have a player like that in the game who's not, you know, fully on board with attacking, you know, other players every turn, you kind of end up in a situation where... It throws the balance off. It throws the balance off because everyone is kind of requiring them to take action in a certain extent, and by not taking action and choosing to just sit there and accrue points, um, they're kind of letting another player win. Mm. Um, So in that sense, I guess it's kind of difficult, but... I mean, if you're playing with the same group of people every game and you can learn it with them, then it's still a really good game. Like, I'd probably give it uh, maybe four out of five. Oh, interesting. Lower than okay. Zolkin. Yeah, I would say lower than Zolkin. I mean, Zolkin's just kind of easy to play and easy to pick up. and Interesting. And it's easy to identify what the dominant strategies are in Zolkin and... Interesting. So the the um, let's say the obviousness of it is an appealing factor. Yeah, I mean it also means that it doesn't last as long. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it's definitely appealing. It's easy to pick up. Okay. All right. And on that note, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back and have a deeper discussion about the rest of these games that are on Harry's groups list. Stay tuned.
Welcome back. What you just heard was uh, Orchid, brackets, Disco Death by Perturbator from uh, the B-Sides and Rarities album, or at least, oh, B-Sides and Remixes, excuse me, Volume 1, not to be confused with Volume 2. I play this because, A, I heard it on uh, my network radio stuff today, and also because I found out that uh, Perturbator and Ghost are doing a show in Toronto at the Phoenix on... uh, May 12th that I'm trying to figure out whether I want to go to but I love them both and it might be a tough one to figure out but we'll see we were talking with Harry Hall and Kayla Campbell about games first one Zolkin the Mayan calendar is that what it's called yeah I, yes. I think that's it yes, <laughs> the it subtitle is. to it uh, it's a not a worker placement it's a worker removal game <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true and then we talked about Root, which is a worker removal game in a sense that you're trying to remove all your opponent's stuff from the map and keep yours there. Uh, but no worker placements, depending on how broad you want to put this. Harry, what's next on your list? Uh, we played some Viticulture as well, actually. Perfect. Uh, Viticulture. Hold it's on, good. stop. Base or Tuscany? Uh, actually, it's Essential Edition. Yeah, all right. Ba- so, essential so it's Edition. Like, it's like the base version, yeah. but it's got some of the stuff from Tuscany. Let's just let's separate this because there's Tuscany Essential and there's Viticulture Essential. So right. we're talking about just the base Essential. Just the base t- Essential Edition. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so what do you think of it, and how many plays? Um, I think uh, four plays. Not bad. Um, and it's good. It's I don't know a classic uh, kind of worker placement game. Um, honestly like mechanically is pretty similar to a lot of other games um where you're generating resources and you're trying to kind of build an an engine and you're trying to accrue points 
Um, the theme is obviously great. Um, whenever we play Viticulture, we always drink wine, which is always <laughs> great. Uh, and uh, I guess one of the things that I don't know if it's good or bad is that it's a worker placement that doesn't have. You're not given direction at the start of the game. Um, In what sense? Like, there are games, maybe the best way to illustrate this is talk about the differences between Agricola and Caverna. Okay. So in Agricola, you know, you have that, uh, I think it's like the job at that you get at the start of the game, and it kind of favors certain actions or things, yeah. certain things, um, whereas Caverna uh, doesn't have that. And I think mm-hmm. what you kind of end up with is when you're playing a game like Viticulture, you don't have any starting direction. And I think there's a different couple ways you can play the game in Viticulture. Um and you kind of just have to, each time you play, figure out, you know, what kind of stuff you're going to be doing in the game, whether you're going to be just be focusing on, like, you know, fulfilling big wine orders or if you're going to, like, um, kind of, like, what actions you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, or in the context of um, uh, Agricola, kind of what endgame scoring uh, uh, points you're going to you're gonna go for. Um, whereas, a, or sorry... In the context of Caverna, what kind of end game scoring points you're going to go for? Yeah. When you're when you're playing Agricola and you get an occupation, it kind of puts you in a direction. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and and it kind of makes it so that every time you play, you're kind of put in a different direction. You kind of play towards that direction. Um, and they're slightly different. I honestly don't know whether it's good or bad. Whether with a game like Viticulture, every time you play it, it's kind of the same puzzle you're trying to figure out. Full disclosure is that Joel has played so much viticulture out there because and I think we we're all on the same page on this is that it's it's a very accessible euro in the sense of it it's very pretty and it it's fairly like Harry was saying it's it's open ended it's almost sandboxy at the beginning of what you want to do but at the same time it's fairly evident on what you can do and I think it's in the name yeah it's a, you're Make making wine. wine but that's one of the ironic parts is that for a long time making wine was not part of a strategy of the game because there were so many ways to win without ever make selling a single order and I Which always thought crazy exactly I always thought that was one of the weak points of the game was that it was kind of frustrating to play because and this is what I think maybe you were is kind of related to is that the randomness of these cards because most of the game revolves around drawing these cards that are either the orders for your the that you'd be fulfilling for the wine the grapes that you'd be planting the and the visitor cards are the most obvious examples of the utterly random uh, things you can draw so you end up in these positions where like you're saying there's this, there's this aimlessness at the beginning and you're like oh you draw some grapes and it's like okay i guess these are fine but there are some hierarchies to the grapes too so you're like i don't even know if it's worth do i are these okay or not and then you go to, let's, all right, well, now I got grapes and I want a wine order, so I'm going to draw some. Oh, look, it's a crazy wine order that's going to take me the entire game to theoretically produce this, depending on how things go. I don't even the right grapes for my first draw, so maybe I did the wrong order. And then you're trying to catch this. Maybe you get visitor cards that are totally useless and don't fit you. So And you got a hand limit as well. So it ends up in this like sort of uh, molasses of games and and things you can do but maybe don't make sense compared to Kayla who drew like perfect perfect <laughs> yeah. perfect and that's happened before and it's very frustrating it's extremely when, frustrating I mean it's never happened to me I've never drawn perfect cards <laughs> it but it's very frustrating when you can see that someone's just like all of their cards are clicking and everything you're getting is awful where at least in Tuscany, the expansion, there's a mechanism to get rid of those cards. There's a game from it. And it mitigates and it doesn't, there's less card draw in general in exactly. Tuscany, which is kind of nice. So like it gets yeah. rid of the, the cottage the strategy. cards are very powerful. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The cottage strategy in, in, 
kind of the base edition, just getting those visitor cards and hope you get good visitor cards. Well, when you end up in positions where you're like paying, like you can hire workers for way less money and you don't have to spend a worker to do it and you're like fulfilling orders for free on as a bonus action and doing other stuff, it just... The, Viticulture is a lot of fun, but it can it, the the wackiness of it, in the sense of the things that can explode on you, kind of takes away from maybe a tighter Euro experience that maybe is what I, I feel like Tuscany fixes in a sense because it, it 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 removes how easy it is to get stuff, so you have to work harder for it, so it doesn't feel as frustrating. Because if somebody gets a good draw or something or gets lucky with that sort of stuff, you feel like, all right, well, at least they spent some time getting that as opposed to, oh, I just took three cards this turn and like, it was free and I'm getting great, great stuff from it. But Yeah, I mean, I guess that's Viticulture, the base edition. I never played Tuscany. Um, I probably should because um, the base edition, I guess, is especially vulnerable to that kind of thing. Where yeah. like, all four players, you know, if they know what they're doing and they're both sitting down at the table, they both have the same objective in the game. Yeah. I mean, it's not like at, each player has a different objective or kind of strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's kind of sitting down, they have the same objectives, and ultimately it kind of comes down to what cards you draw, mm. um, which is definitely frustrating and I think really limits the number of plays that you can get out of the game. At least with a game like uh, Zolkin, even if you know each of the strategies pretty impl- intimately and, and it's kind of like solving a... <clears throat> your own kind of puzzle to figure out how to execute that strategy. At least, you know, the strategy is different from game to game. And within the game, each player kind of has a different strategy that they're pursuing. Mm-hmm. And so it, it doesn't feel as vulnerable to randomness. Do people sell fields as their first action? Uh, in Viticulture? Oh, yeah. You, could, you just got to sell the field. Get the money. <laughs> <laughs> it's, how it's, else do you hire workers? If you don't do that, you're not going to win. Yeah. I'm just curious, too. Is like, Are you seeing people just consistently fighting over the exact same spaces? And Because like, obviously, hire the worker is like... But in the cool thing about Viticulture, I'll give them this, is that it does, does change based on the player amounts of like their bonus actions for being in spaces. There are restrict spots on lower player accounts. And so it does kind of expand and contract nicely. Yeah, I mean, the, the bonus action or like the bonus, I guess, for taking the action space is like... I think a really interesting and good mechanic in viticulture yeah because it really changes your priorities like if sometimes the bonus is worth equally as much as the actual action you know what i mean mm-hmm. like taking when you put your worker on the action space and you get the bonus you get double the reward of the action if you're the first person to go there um that is so you know beneficial and it, it would mean that you might take an action you actually don't care about that much because it's <laughs> just to get you know the, it's giving uh, you double benefit yeah. and then you might care about another action more but you don't care about the bonus so you can take it later now do you do you see any hate uh placements just to deprive somebody of spots <sighs> i mean we always play with the rule you can't oh, take the bonus the friendly oh. rule so you <laughs> can't take the, the bonus yeah it's in the book oh interesting and like you can't take the bonus if you're not actually like taking the bonus like you can't you know, plant two grapevines if you only have one grapevine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we play with the friendly one, but yeah, definitely in terms of like actual action spaces, yeah, yeah, yeah you can. Uh, and and, and something I think Kale and I both agree is like, but near the middle to the end of the game, the spot of fulfilling two orders, like going down and being able to do, does that become insane? Like people are just like going to winter as quickly as possible to kind of get that out of the way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's funny. I guess the the turn order bidding becomes incredibly important. Um, you know, you kind of want to accrue orders, I guess, to the start of the middle of the game and then kind of determine what grapes you really want to be focusing on, I guess, and in what levels of wines you want. But then, yeah, like fulfilling orders, that action space to get the double fulfill specifically, that bonus is kind of like what determines the winner in so many games. You can almost get like 10, 12, like I forget what the most amount of points on a card is, but it, it gets out of control pretty quick. I mean, like if everyone is playing, you know, well... 
then I would hope that by the end of the game, everyone has multiple orders they can fulfill. Mm-hmm. And But the, the person who goes first and gets to take the action to fulfill an extra order, you're just getting six bonus points. And then You only need 20 points. And then, God forbid, maybe they've got another visitor card that lets them fulfill another order yeah, exactly, or do something exactly. else. It's nuts. Kayla, what do, you, do you still like Viticulture? I really like Viticulture. I like Tuscany, the expansion of Tuscany. I think there's, like, it adds a lot, and there are just more things you can do, and it kind of, I don't know, kind of levels it out a bit so you're not fighting as much over the same spaces. I think there's also some interesting mechanics in Tuscany that, depending on what, I think, I don't know if it's a wake-up track thing or if it's a, one of the What's the turn order? Yeah, the wake-up tracks. So. You can, like, go into the future and, like, uh, place a worker in the future. I think that was one of the... So something Tuscany adds is you can get... You can introduce different... You shuffle up some cards, and you can hire special workers that do have different powers throughout yeah. the game if you feel like adding those. So. And I think the one that lets you go into the future and, like, say, sit on the... Guard a spot or... Or sit on, like, the double fulfill one is super great. We play a lot two-player, so we don't get that option, but... I think at higher player counts, yeah, yeah, that could be takes really beneficial, especially <clears throat> at the end of the game. can make a huge difference. But I generally think that Tuscany adds a lot to the base game. It's it's actually it's been so long since I played the base game, because once we started doing Tuscany, we haven't gone back. But I can't remember exactly how the turn order stuff goes in the base game. But with Tuscany, what's cool is that you choose at the beginning. And um, there are all these different bonuses. And the earlier you want to go, the weaker the bonus is. But the later you want to go, the better the bonus is. So you end up in this weird sort of like... Uh, duel with your opponent where you're looking at like, oh man, I really need that stuff, but that lets them go first and they can take these actions ahead of me every round and I don't know if it's worth it. But it's interesting in two player, I guess there's not as much tension because the first player decides and then the second player It's just a response, response, easy. response. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And especially with some of the characters that you're doing, it's like, it doesn't feel... it. It, it's definitely not a tight, tight game where it's some of these Euros where, like you mentioned Agricola or even Caverna too, where you're just feeling like... Uh, I want to do a lot, but I don't have that. Uh, I don't have the yeah, luxury yeah. to get away with this stuff. But anyway, Viticulture I think is an easy endorsement for somebody who, if like, if you're getting into the hobby and you want a game that most people can relate to, even if the mechanics sometimes don't justify or don't relate to the theme in a lot of ways. But it's it's a very pretty, fairly easy game to understand, and I think it's a real kind of nice stepping stone to other games that could be maybe a little deeper or a little, uh, I don't know, tighter as far as the gameplay goes, but that's just me. Last but not least, I think, Harry, what's the, what else did you have on your... Uh, Keyflower. We, we haven't played that many oh. games of Keyflower. We oh. played a couple games of Keyflower. I forgot about Keyflower. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a good game. Uh, it has a lot of different mechanics in it, which is kind of fun. Uh, and I love tile placement, kind of tile laying oh, games. Yeah. Um, it's so Harry, do because Keyflower is so special to me. I really do love this game. I'm not saying I'm good at it, but I really do love Keyflower. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> the first time I played, I did not get it at all. And then it's the second the time, book. I just like clicked. I'm like, oh, this all makes so much sense now. The rule book. I don't know whether it's so good I don't get it, or it's so bad. It, the layout of the game. It, maybe it's because it does something. I'm trying to figure out what it did that that upset me but i think it would do it would tell you how to do stuff but then it would reference it later so it doesn't explain what it is so you have to flip through the book to figure out what it actually is they're telling you to do and there are edge cases on a lot of these anyway describe keyflower so i mean keyflower i guess i wouldn't quite call it a worker placement but but basically worker bidding game. yeah you have a village it and is a you, strategy game yeah you, you have a village <laughs> and every player has a village and uh, your village is built of hexagonal tiles beautiful you also have, you also have a number a number of uh, workers available to you and uh, every uh, season you play four seasons um, 
you use your workers to bid on new hexagonal tiles to add to your village. And you also use your workers up as workers to take actions available on yours or other players' mm-hmm. villages. Um, so you kind of have that dual um, kind of using your workers to acquire new actions or, or using your workers to take existing actions. Or even using your workers to take actions in other people's uh, villages, which gives them the workers in the long run but lets you kind of steal actions from them, which is uh, very good. It's incredibly... Some, it's, what, the best description I've heard is a knife fight in a phone booth with how uh, aggressive the game gets so quickly because the way bidding works, is like Harry was mentioning, is that you use your workers to bid on stuff, but... There's a bunch of different colored workers out there, and including the special green workers. We'll get to that in a second. And what happens is, is I see a tile in the center that I think, what a lovely addition to my village. So I put down one of my blue meeples on that side of it. Well, Kale looks at that tile and says, no, it's a lovely addition to my village. So now she has to go behind her screen, because all the meeples you have are secret, which getting into hidden trackable information, but forget that. You need it. And has to take... Uh, blue meeples herself, even if she's got red and yellow and all that stuff, but she has to match the color of meeple that's been led. It's kind of like the suit of the tile bidding. And she has to put more meeples down. So she decides to put two blue meeples on that tile. And then Harry comes around and says, no, I want it. And he dumps three blues. And I think that's as high as you can go, or can you keep going? I actually think that you can keep going. You can keep going. It's on your own. Yeah, yeah. I think you can keep going for bidding, but... For actions. Yeah, yeah, the cool thing is that the same thing is true for actions. Like, you can place a meeple to take an action, but then someone can put two meeples on that tile to take an action as well. And you could do it again yourself, too. And then I think you can put another three on, and then that's... Three is where it caps up, but for bidding, there's unlimited amounts, theoretically, Mm -hmm. as long as you go more. But, I mean, meanwhile, in this scenario where, like, you bid one, and Kayla's bid two, and I've bid three because I really want that tile, (laughs) then there's a fourth player, and there's laughing because they're spending one meeple to take a different tile. And we're, we're not going for but it. But the cool thing is, too, in a lot of bidding games, and some some are meaner than others, but I can look at this. So it goes around, and Harry's put three down. I'm allowed to take my one meeple and move it to another tile and start again. And this is where the rounds keep going. And pe- But again, you have to follow the rules of suit. But like I mentioned, there's green meeples, which are special workers that are very difficult to get. And it's equivalent of if you lead with a green meeple, you've more or less locked down a tile unless somebody really wants that and happens to have two green meeples that they're going to burn on that. Very rare. Uh, but the game scales beautifully. Um, there are more tiles out depending on players. Uh, and you add them to your village, which is super satisfying. And there is some sort of a bit of strategy to how you lay them out because the distance is really important as you go through the game because you're making goods on tiles and you have to move them to other tiles but the distance is limited i like only learned that one game ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah you have, you'd like generate resources and they're generated they're on stuck. specific tiles in your village and you <laughs> and can you move to move them, them to where you're going to use them <laughs> so you can upgrade it, your things so you can get further with your cart and turns you out turns out if you put all your resource generation tiles in one corner of your village <laughs> it's very difficult it's really difficult to move them <laughs> And that's it, too. Like, all these tiles can be flipped over to the other side if you pay the upgrade cost, which involves getting goods to them. And then the very end of the game is when, and this is like you're talking about direction. At the very beginning of the game, you're given these winter tiles. And it's up to you to look at them. You can be aiming to work towards these winter tiles the entire game. But you think, "Uh uh-uh. 
I've got it locked. I've been building the entire game towards getting this uh, engine of, I don't know, like uh, iron. That's I'm getting tons of victory points for iron. You still have to bid on your tile. So there are times when there are tiles out and you've been banking on getting this tile for the game, but somebody maybe puts a green meeple down first and, and you're screwed. Really too, because pe- people will know that you're getting a ton of points yeah. on Absolutely. that tile. Absolutely. Yeah. You're relying on that tile. So sure. it, it gets in. I would take it just out of spite. Well, that it's all part of the game. It's like you have to do that sort of stuff. But anyway. How? Keyflower, is it the perfect game now that we're talking about this? <laughs> well, you got player bidding, worker placement, tile placement. You it, have like starting that. objectives. Yeah, it's like take that. It's very competitive. It's it, got ba- a lot. Based on everything we've described, it kind of does oh, man, hit the niche. All the boxes. <laughs> uh, I'll give it three out of five. <laughs> <laughs> the, tr- the contrarian bid. It's Keyflower is tremendous. And there are two expansions for the base game. There's Merchants mm-hmm. and Farmers. Um so there's a lot of content theoretically you could yeah. dump into this game. The game changes a lot each round, it, or it, each game you play changes. Well, yeah, because there's there's enough randomization with the the tiles that mm-hmm. are distributed and what shows up, what doesn't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think you can play it two. Yeah, you can play two players. No, it's, we've we've played it two players. I think it's not. It's good. a bidding game, so bidding at two players is is never great. Yeah. But it. It still works, and it doesn't make you have a dummy player. So no, true. It's good in my books. So Harry, how's your group responded to Keyflower? Um, I mean, it's it's definitely a fun game. It's one of those games where every time I play it, I realize that I have just been totally screwing something up, like having to move resources between yeah. my yeah. tiles. Or wait, when you, were you just playing like if it exists in your village, you can use it? Oh no, no, no! I was I just didn't even consider like when I placed the tiles, I didn't consider that I'd have oh, to do it. The and layout, then later yeah. in the game, I was like, oh crap! Like, <laughs> what am I gonna do now? Yeah. Um. So I mean, every game that we play, hopefully, I can improve. But it is a game you can improve on, too. Mm-hmm. But I like that there's enough player interaction, too, where it's not just like, let's say, Zolkin again, where it's not like I put this tile down, it's a foregone conclusion, I will add it to my village. Mm-hmm. Um, people can interfere in your plans, and you have to be very careful about gauging how your your opponents are playing. And do did Caleb really get upset when I won that bid on that tile there because she really wants to use this stuff? Because if she's willing to dump workers onto this, it interferes with my plan to use it, especially if she picks a worker I don't have the color of or I don't want to burn three to, I don't know, go over and like use it again or just like, it, there's just so many different things moving, but it's fairly elegant. It doesn't feel like you're ever, um, let's say Twilight Imperium, where you're just like, oh, what's going on? I have no clue and I'm not really satisfied with this, but I don't know. How are you finding it at four players? Because according to the Bible, it's best at four, but it does go up to six. Uh, it's. I, I mean, I've only ever played it with four, so actually, yeah. don't really have anything to reflect on, and I, I don't think I'm good enough at the game to even like consider what it would be like with more players. You know what I mean? It'd be madness. I'd say the only yeah. weakness I can think of is that it's very difficult. Like, um, I'm trying to think of the other game off the top of my head, maybe Terraforming Mars, where you, because you're essentially building a tile tableau in front of you, except other people can use it. Yeah. But the issue is, I find it's very difficult to pay attention to what other people have added to yes. their villages, especially when you're more concerned about doing your own thing. So if anything, there's almost a, a physical issue with me where I, I'm kind of like trying to look around at what people have got on there. Their boards and oh yeah that's right oh I forgot Harry did do that and it's like ah oh, man that's kind of annoying that's definitely true but even with each player having a full board there are still fewer action spaces than Feast for Odin <laughs> <laughs> but Feast for Odin they're just they, don't they just get bigger and better as it's you go down better and better and better and it's all thematic like it's all the same action and Feast for Odin is great um, it, there's, there's another key 
key game, right? Keeper. There are, we there are a bunch. There's well, Keeper. Yeah, so we have Keeper, and I remember when we first tried to play it, how frustrating it was, because you have to, like, fold. There's a bizarre... There's this weird foldy thing it's that like, you have to, like... Do you know those toys, like the J- Jacob's Ladder toys, that are, like, it's this semi-impossible, like, thing where you fold it down, the block goes all the way down, and you turn it again, like, the block goes the way down. It's like one of these Mennonite toys. You basically had to flip this... I don't know, card, basically, until you had it all configured the right way for your player count and for the season. It was very confusing. We had to look up a video. Oh, like some weird component they included? Yes. And they were like, yeah, let's be clever. It is, they want, weird it is, folding it is thing. clever. And they want to use it so that it works for, I think, is it about player count? Or season? It, I, it's, I, I think it must be player count. It's, they want it's to a little complicated. It. Yeah, they want to reuse it for, like... And all the variations that can happen in Keeper, but we literally had to watch a video on how to set well, it up. Well, because I didn't want to rip it too, and part of the problem was that yes. it, we just weren't being quite firm enough with like yes. folding it in a certain way. Because it's like you know how you're doing that thing in in grade school where you're the, the who are you going to marry? Yeah. And where are you going to marry? It's like that. So a very strange setup it, of that, but it was strange. But it, it was before we'd even read the rules. But otherwise, it was good. But Richard Breeze, he's the designer. Um, and he's done a couple of other things. There was recently a Kickstarter, which I ended up backing. I was on the fence, but it, it's mostly because it was, it was so expensive for what it was. But it's uh, Key Market, which is a game that's out of print, but a lot of people say is their favorite of the series. But maybe it's one of these, like, I can't get it, so it's special to me. Um, but there's the whole, there's the Key series. I don't know if Keys to London is in that as well, but it, the, the whole idea is just like these using meeples for these kind of action-y type bidding spaces. I don't know. It's a neat genre unto itself. Un- unrelated to Kingdom Hearts, though? No Keyblades? <laughs> no, I don't think there are any Keyblades, but maybe there'll be the inevitable crossover with uh, Disney and I guess just Disney. Square Enix. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> there is a Kingdom Hearts game, though, I think. Anyway, jaunty music, drums, bass. What does it mean? Show's over, Kale. Oh, okay. Thank Sorry. you, Harry, for coming in. Thanks, Harry. Thank you. <laughs> he was already done. He had checked out. He's already at the door. Thank you, Kayla. You're welcome, Jack. This has been Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM. Thank you for listening. Stay listening to the station. Support the station if you can. Um, nothing illegal, please. Android's Dungeon does not condone anything like that. But keep listening. Have a good day. <laughs>